Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me fully refreshed after a cross-country trip. And let's be honest, if you're going to fly that long, you had better return with a W. And the Cardinals did. The offense finally woke up, and the defense played outstanding. We get into it all for a team that is now 2-2 two two after the first quarter of the season. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 598, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed him. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray Magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. Right off the top, Paul, quick turnaround. Late game on the East Coast means a late flight coming back to Tempe. And, of course, victory Monday, but then to make sure, did you get enough sleep? From Sunday night to Monday morning, are you are you ready to go here this morning? Come on, now you you just rub some dirt on it. The sleep deprivation, you know. I mean, you're talking to a guy who did 20 years of morning radio. I mean, that was nothing. Are you kidding me? And yes, it was a late kick, and uh, the flight got in a little late. But you know what? With brand new Redbird One, boom! You just uh, you shoot through the skies, the cloudy skies of Carolina. Even though it was a 4 o'clock kick, the lights were on at the stadium because it was so cloudy. But you know what? Uh, I'm over here giving thanks once again because uh, there was no rain whatsoever. So everything we talked about and prepared for (laughs) a week ago did not come to fruition. In fact, we woke up on game day morning. It was bright and sunny, and then the clouds started rolling in. So uh, there you go. It was – I I tell you, what was really cloudy is the future of the Carolina Panthers at quarterback because Baker Mayfield got booed repeatedly and deservedly he was not good in front of the new home fans well when we last left everyone on friday here on cardinals cover two presented by hyundai proud partner of the arizona cardinals we needed two things one for paul calvisi to stay dry and he did check second thing was for paul calvisi to come back with a win check that as well cardinals beat the panthers 26 to 16 and it was it was interesting to hear DJ Humphrey's post game with you and one close to his hometown, but just how much it meant to him to finally get a win against that team in that stadium because it had not happened since 2002 in the regular season. But then he brought up the fact that he was a spectator in 2015 in the NFC Championship game. You forget about that because that was his rookie year he was inactive all season long but how much it meant to him personally to walk out of that stadium with his head held high for the first time and he had some 40 family and friends in attendance it was interesting I got out of the pregame radio booth I got down to the sideline we're about 20 minutes before kickoff and the buzz on the Cardinal sideline among some of the media types who were there for pregame was just how amped up 74 was that DJ Humphreys well, everyone was feeding off his energy because he grew up, you know, 20 minutes from there. And and he had spent a lot of time in Charlotte growing up. He had some 40 family and friends in the stands, and he balled like it. He, he really did. You win the line of scrimmage, you win the game most of the time, most of the time. The big exception to that rule in recent NFL history to me was Joe Burrow last year. Yeah. He, he would get pummeled, you know, nine sacks in a playoff game, and they'd still win. But that that's because Super Joe Burrow, that's how good he was 
last year. But for the most part, you win in the trenches, you're going to win the game. And I, I think the Cardinals, we can all say, won on both sides of the ball. They controlled that game, the line of scrimmage. And D.J. Humphreys was a big reason why on the offensive side. Zach Allen was a big reason why on the defensive side. I mean, you know, when you're down your two starting guards, Justin Pugh's on the sideline with a wrap around that elbow. Again, Will Hernandez gets ejected. And a little bit of trepidation yeah. on that sideline, a little bit. You know, when you have Max Garcia and Sean Harlow and the only you know, offensive lineman left is Josh Jones. And there was a moment there where Kelvin Beecham was slow getting up at one point <sighs> mid-game. And the whole sideline was on alert, Craig. And Josh Jones started warming up on the sideline. You're like, oh, boy. I mean, you, you could be looking at three-fifths. Uh, of an offensive line that has replacement parts, but Cardinals went out there and ran for what a buck thirty-two, correct? So, uh, yeah, that was big. There was no doubt, and, and DJ was still amped up after the game, before and after the game, during the game. Everybody was feeding off his energy. Very emotional day for DJ Humphreys, and a very emotional day pre-game, post-game for one JJ Watt. Let's start there, Paul, because you're with the team, you travel with the team. And I learned, maybe just like you did, but it was 9.14 a.m., so about 45 minutes before we hit the air with the NFL kickoff show, and J.J. Watt breaks the news, his own news, that he, quote, my heart shocked back into rhythm on Thursday. That was part of the tweet. He had went into AFib on Wednesday, and at that point, I'm like, okay, well, this now you're concerned about the person more so than the player. Do you even play on Sunday and JJ Watt in his tweet said I'm playing that's it and then he does not only does he play but he has one of his better performances at the line of scrimmage three tackles but it was the two passes defensed along with Zach Allen three passes defense those two five total balls they batted down at the line of scrimmage but JJ Watt a real scary situation during the week yet there he is three days later playing and the Cardinals win it was mid-game. I wrote it down, and he was this close to a sack. Oh, he was so close. He, he was like what Zach Allen was the first three games. So close, just missed it, came to the sideline, and he was torqued. He was triggered. And I'm like, J.J., easy. Easy, J.J., come on now. Ease, don't, don't. But, you know, uh, look, I, I honestly think, and, and, and I, I want to go ask the locker room this, more off the record than on, but when you have a guy – who had his heart reset, shocked back into rhythm three days before you kick off a game, and he's dressed, and he's ready to give you everything he has, you have zero excuse not to bring every ounce of energy and intensity you have and then some. So I think just the sight of 99 being suited up, ready to go, everyone else said, okay, if this guy can play, what can I do? And the energy on defense was above and beyond anything I'd seen this season. Right from the get-go, Craig, they were amped up and ready to go. And then the where you had the uh, the J.J. Watt batted pass, ended up Gardeck with the interception. That was after the Cardinals had taken the lead, 13-10, to 10, correct? Correct. Okay. And, and it was interesting because I asked a couple of guys afterwards in the locker room, I said, you know what, that was your first lead in regulation. And, and you wouldn't believe how all of a sudden, like, there was a TV timeout after the field goal to make it 13-10 Cardinals. They had that 15-play, 57-yard drive that seemingly took forever. So I think they were itching, A, to get off the bench. B, 
I think they just enjoyed the fact looking at the scoreboard and they were playing from ahead. And they're like, now we can go hunt. Now, as Marcus Golden loves to say, and by the way, I thought Marcus Golden played a really good game. I'd love to know how he, he grades out. We can get into that. But once again, at that moment, they were jumping up and down. You never knew it was the fourth quarter of a game. And that very next snap, the first down play was where J.J. batted up in the air and Gardak comes down with the interception. And there's just a correlation, a lot of times, defense between energy and intensity. And as long as you're a sound defense, which the Cardinals were not in week one and the first half of week two, they just weren't. They, they were discombobulated. But now I think they're figuring out the roles. And when you combine it with that sort of intensity and that sort of uh, want to and guys you know, coming in waves in that defensive line, Zach Allen and, and J.J. Watt together, hear what Zach Allen told us after the game. They're almost like in hockey, a pair of defensemen. Which makes sense because J.J.'s from Wisconsin, and, and there you have Zach Allen from the Northeast, right, the hockey reference. And they're just coming in waves like that, and so they're staying fresh for the most part. And, and, and once again, Cardinals won in, at the line of scrimmage, and I think everything flowed after that. Watt not only played, he played 41 of the 52 defensive snaps. Wow. He played a lot in that game. Again, had his heart shocked back into rhythm on Thursday, and the sequence that you're talking about, it's four plays. The Matt Prater field goal to give the team the lead, the pick by Dennis Gardeck, and then two plays later, it's Kyler Murray running in from four yards out, and in a span of less than two minutes, in fact, like a minute and a half, the Cardinals go from 10 to 10 to 20 to 10. They take the lead and extend the lead to 10 points, and at that point, okay, game's over because we've seen what the Panthers were not doing in that game. They were, all right, two-score lead, I'm comfortable right now. The Cardinals are going to walk away with a win. After the game, I asked Cliff Kingsbury, did you have a favorite play, maybe a favorite moment? I gave him a couple of choices, you know, maybe the Ertz crosser, the touchdown catch, you know, the Kyler touchdown run you just cited, the Hollywood Brown unbelievable touchdown, which reminded me a lot of, of, of DeAndre Hopkins in week 13, the last time they had a, a – a, opening possession touchdown drive and he made that catch on fourth down at the sti at the pylon that was just an amazing catch by Hollywood Brown as we continue to learn he's able to make those contested catches he is not a one-trick pony when it comes to being a, a speed receiver only but Cliff Kingsbury's selection was a Gardeck interception maybe because it was right in front of the Cardinals sideline and everyone enjoyed it and once again they're able to run down the sideline akin to what they did with Byron Murphy you know maybe it was the ridiculous Dennis Gardeck sack down or the interception dance afterwards it was he it was sort of reminiscent of Billy White Shoes Johnson with the knocking knees what was up with that I didn't I didn't quite I mean google that up all you youngsters out there the 18 to 34 demo for Billy White Shoes Johnson I'm like where'd Gardeck get that one it certainly wasn't hitting the strobe but that was that was a moment on the sideline Cliff Kingsbury liked that a lot and by the way as long as we're talking about celebration dances what are we making of, of the Zach Allen I cannot believe I forgot to ask him about his sack dance after the game when we had him one-on-one -on -one in the post-game radio it's sort of like he starts out with a doggy paddle and then he goes into sort of like the home run signal where he, you know touch them all and he, he twirls his finger around like what, what is going on there it's a good question uh I don't have a good answer for you I'm not exactly sure what it is it certainly doesn't look great but I'll say this if Zach Allen does what he did on Sunday Six tackles, one tackle for loss, one sack, two quarterback hits, three passes defense. Wow. If he does that on a fairly consistent basis or at least impacts the game on a regular basis from his defensive end position, Paul, I don't care how he dances, how it looks, he can do whatever he wants. He is a problem. 
He, he really is. Um, and so if you get J.J. and Zach Allen playing like that on the interior D-line, even though you know you see 99 outside as a defensive end quite a bit, and then you're able to get some of that edge rush that I thought Marcus Golden had a great get-off. I, I mean, there were times where I'm like, was he off sides? That's how good his get-off was, Marcus Golden. He is definitely rounding in a form in the second half. I, I noticed – that Christian McCaffrey was staying in to either help block the edge with Marcus Golden or provide a chip block before he went out into a route. Dennis Gardeck had his first sack of the season. So if you're telling me that's coming along, you're getting reinforcements at corner. Antonio Hamilton is coming. And, look, I, I don't want to be too critical in a win, but it was addition by subtraction, no Jace Whitaker. He didn't have to rely on Jace Whitaker. Yeah. And because Sean McVay exploited that matchup all game long against the Rams, Speaking of grading out, I'm guessing Jace Whitaker did not have a kind grade in that one. So that was a liability against the Rams. You resolve that. And, and with guys falling into the roles, David Collins, the leading tackler, correct? correct. So, okay, uh, he, he seemed to, once again, be in the right spot at the right time, seemed to be physical enough. There were plays he made at the sideline, running guys down. Now, he got beat in coverage a couple of times here and there, but that's no crime, especially when you're on Christian McCaffrey. So, you know, I like the way the defense is trending. Notice I haven't said that about the offense, but the defense, okay. Uh, And then when you find your identity on offense after week six when D-Hop comes back, because honestly, you know, it's it's undeniable right now. This team, this offense, it just isn't itself minus DeAndre Hopkins, and we continue to see it for a variety of reasons. Unwatchable that first half at least from my vantage point, watching it on television. Don't know how it was for you on the sidelines. But I, a quick note on the defense because, you know, full disclosure, I haven't seen all the, the next-gen stats, all the metrics or whatever, but it did not appear to me in real time, Paul, and we know Vance Joseph loves to dial up the blitz, but I don't know how much we saw five, six guys rushing Baker Mayfield. If you're telling me that Marcus Golden, who did not have a sack, but did have a handful of tackles. If you're telling me he's this close and Dennis Gardick did get home, that makes me feel a lot more comfortable about the pass rush and the edge rush overall, especially if you've got Zach Allen and J.J. Watt doing what they're doing because as we marked or we discussed on Friday, Cardinal quarterbacks or quarterbacks that they faced the first three weeks have been getting rid of the ball in the second quickest time in the league. Now, we know Mayfield hangs on to that football a little bit longer, but if they were getting home with just four or maybe a fifth, I know Ron Wolfley doesn't consider that a blitz, but just that means you can drop seven in coverage. You rush three, and then you can drop eight in coverage, and that certainly would help the secondary. And that's a great question. In fact, I'm writing that down. When we do Cliff Kingsbury's TV show a little bit later, I'm going to ask him, what was the blitz percentage because we know in week one, for example, against Mahomes, it was 54-plus percent, and that was the highest anyone had blitzed Mahomes in his career, according to next-gen stats. That was that was off the charts. In this case, I know talking to guys going into the Carolina game, and whether it's because Baker Mayfield, to your point you, you made last week, didn't have an offseason with this team in this offense, whether it's Baker Mayfield with some poor footwork, you saw him miss throws repeatedly. That's when the boos really rained down when either balls got batted and there were five of them between Zach Allen and J.J. Watt, he just flat-out missed receivers. Sometimes there were open receivers and he just flat missed them, so he got booed repeatedly. 
But again, in talking to Cardinals defenders going into the game last week, they said, hey, there's times on film through the first three games where Baker looks pretty good as a Carolina quarterback, and there are certainly times where he looks confused. So Vance Joseph went in and said, you know what, maybe I'll break a tendency. We, we won't blitz nearly as much. Maybe we'll just send four and drop seven, try and flood some of these passing lanes and, and make Baker outthink us and try and find the open guy and go through his progressions, and he already has a tendency to hold on to the ball, and maybe you hold on to it a little bit longer, and we can get home and or affect the play. That's what Zach Allen was talking about after the game. Yeah, I, I like your observation. I, to me, it didn't feel like the Cardinals broad numbers. How often do we see an Isaiah Simmons, Zayvon Collins, and company mugging the A and B gaps and, and coming right up the middle? Not very often. Didn't feel like it. It was an outstanding performance on my in my view by the defense as I continue to delay talking about the offense here on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai Proud Partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. Do what Americans do best. <laughs> procrastinate. That's what we need to do. Stop the run. Vance Joseph, number one goal each and every week. Stop the run. And the Panthers held to just 40 rushing yards, but it was the job they did on Christian McCaffrey. I don't know how healthy he was considering the time he missed during the week with that thigh injury, but he was held at 27 rushing yards, his lowest total since 2019. Wow. And it was a combination of that defensive line and Zayvon Collins, Isaiah Simmons, who played 83% of the snaps. But I think the tone was set on that first possession of the Panthers, third and one. Mayfield, or yeah, third and one, and it's no gain on a quarterback run. Fourth and one, McCaffrey stopped for no gain, and it's Zayvon Collins and Marcus Golden combining on the tackle, but it was Collins who basically shoved aside the left guard and said, I'm getting home. Now, I'm not even allowing you to engage me on the block, but I'm getting home, and I think the Cardinals set the tone on that very first Panthers possession. I would totally agree with that. In fact, I highlighted that right here on my little play chart from the sideline. Yep, Zavin and Golden combining on that and, 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 and sort of making that statement. And once again, the best defensive coordinators do what? They take away what an offense does best, make them go to their second and third options. So think about the last few weeks. Think about even the Rams with Cooper Cup. He, he, he didn't wreck that game. Yeah, yeah, the 20-yard touchdown run where half the Cardinals' offense or defense was confused. I don't know how much of that was Cooper Cup and how much of that was just Sean McVay. But the week before, Devontae Adams had only two grabs, 12 yards. One of them was a touchdown, sure, but he was a non-factor. So, you know, Vance Joseph is, and that defense has done a very good job at rendering the opponent's number one threat a non-factor. In this case, it was Christian McCaffrey, and they hit him hard. They hit him often. I don't know if Zavin necessarily was a spy. Uh, and I'd love to know that as well. In fact, I'm writing that question down just uh, my own curiosity. Of course, Coach probably won't answer it. Doesn't mean we don't ask it. But, you know, look, there's no doubt. You take away Christian McCaffrey, then what? Because Baker Mayfield had been struggling with his receivers. They have talented receiver. They just haven't been very productive, whether it's DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, LaVisca Chenault. They haven't been very productive to the point where you know, Ben McAdoo was talking last week about, hey, you know, Baker's got to improve that footwork in the pocket. The accuracy has to improve. You're in year five, and you're working on your footwork in the pocket. That's obviously an issue. This is the NFL. This is not high school. And then when the coach, Matt Rule, challenged the receivers last week going into the game saying, you know what, 
get open and the ball come your way. These receivers need to get better separation because maybe there was some griping and grousing behind the scenes because D.J. Moore and Robbie Anderson only had one catch the week before a piece. But either way, Cardinals started with Christian McCaffrey, took him away for the most part. He got some garbage yards in the fourth quarter when the game was already decided otherwise. Non-factor. And you go back to your point, the Raiders, Devontae Adams, non-factor. Rams, Cooper Cup, non-factor. Christian McCaffrey, non-factor. Three straight weeks, Vance Joseph dialing into the Bill Belichick playbook, take away the other team's number one option. And it's been impressive, needs to be highlighted a lot more because uh, this is this is not what I expected coming into this season. I did not expect the defense to be the story, to be the units, the side of the ball that lifts this team to a 2-2 two and two record because of the inability of the offense to get into the end zone. And sure, you have an all-pro safety in, in Buda Baker, and you have maybe a budding Pro Bowl safety in Jalen Thompson, but it's not like you have an NFL Defensive Player of the Year candidate on this defense that you're building around. It really is a team defense. And that week one game where roles were yet to be defined, and I think some players were exposed in certain roles, and Vance has had to adjust accordingly. That's why I said in part, only half-jokingly last week, September is the new <laughs> August. That it, it took the Cardinals September to really figure out what they had, how to deploy them, who you can count on, in what role, who you can trust. Okay, and, and if you're not going to play in August in these preseason games, and even if they did play in the preseason, you're seeing vanilla schemes. You're not getting tested and stressed like you would in a regular season game. So once again, September is the new August, especially with a 17-game season. And uh, you know, Craig, you're in that locker room a lot. There was no panic at being 1-2. and two. A couple of guys flat out said, look, if you're panicked at 1-2 and two with 14 games to play, then you haven't been around the NFL very long. So just relax. It was the old Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> relax. And, and we made that call last week where Aaron, the Packers were 1-2 and two and were among the league's worst passing offenses in 2014 when Aaron Rodgers said those famous words on the radio and spelled out R-E-L-A-X. Well, there was a lot of that going on in the locker room last week. Just chill out. Uh, you know what? You're where you pretty much figured you would be. Did you really expect to beat Kansas City? You never beat the Rams, let's be honest. Uh, we'll see how that, how they perform on the road. That's your best chance. That's what you did a year ago. Now you got Philadelphia coming to town. You feel like, okay, everyone knows the role. Let's ball. Let's see. Let's see if you can take on a team that doesn't appear to have many weaknesses, if any at all. And let's hope that what we saw from the offense in the second half can carry over. And it's amazing what we see because the coaches, Cliff Kingsbury, we, are, we need to be in rhythm. And when you're playing with the lead, then all of a sudden that playbook opens up. And that's what we saw in the second half. But that first half, Paul, I mean, four games is now something that you can look at. And the fact that this team still does not have a first quarter point has been outscored by 50 points in the first half of games. It is, in the words of the head coach, anemic. In the words of Kyler Murray, sleepwalking. It's I, – I, I don't want to – pull the alarm bell but you get into a hole against the Eagles against the Raiders against the Ram against a top caliber team you don't win that game on Sunday you were fortunate that you were playing the Carolina Panthers but it was not good the first two quarters and it just it looked a heck of a lot better in the second half and you hope that is what this Cardinals offense what we anticipated and expected that the second half of Carolina 
moves forward into the next several weeks. Look, there's no question I, this team is pressing on offense, especially in the first quarter. First half overall, in particular the first quarter. I mean, just the two fourth down plays. The Rondale Moore jet sweep, end around, whatever you want to call it, I, I think that's the play caller pressing. Maybe feeling a little desperation. Cliff mentioned that. Try to get too fancy. And then I think, you know, the magnitude of the moment for Rodney Hudson to airmail to go Chuck Knobloch and send it way over the head of Kyler Murray. I mean, how often do you see that with Rodney Hudson? Never. So I think it's just the magnitude of the moment, guys gripping it a little too tight. Um, you know, maybe they're learning something, especially in those third and short, fourth and short, that James Conner and or Daryl Williams, not a bad option. Uh, just keep it simple. You know what? Your offensive line is a strength. Look, the Cardinals' offensive line, is it was better than the Raiders' offensive line, better than the Rams' offensive line, better than Carolina's offensive line. You know, you show me a team with an above-average offensive line, which I think the Cardinals have when they're healthy, okay, just, just rely on them. They love to come off the ball. They love to have their number called. And so, uh, and, and you know what, a James Conner and a Daryl Williams in particular, even an Eno Benjamin, his ability to make the first guy miss and fight for extra yards and keep those legs churning and just being a tough tackle – you know, there, there are certain things that I saw. It was, uh, it was Atlanta, Atlanta yesterday, and their win. Do you know at one point in that game they called 14 straight rushing plays? Wow. 14 straight. So you know, look what Seattle did in, in, in their game. I mean, they put 48 on the board. Yes, it was against the Lions, but they didn't punt the ball once. I mean, it's remarkable what they did with Geno Smith. How are they doing that with Geno Smith? Well, it's an unbelievable running game right now. Here it is. I wrote this down last night. You know I had too much time on the flight home when I actually had some Wi-Fi and I was looking around. So you realize because the Seahawks are coming up in two weeks, they didn't punt the entire game. They Here's how their drives went in that 48-45 win against the Lions. They went touchdown, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, missed field goal, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, end of the game. And a lot of it was around Rashad Penny. Yes. And so, okay – especially without DeAndre Hopkins. If, if you can just continue to run the ball, they had more rushing attempts than they did pass attempts, correct? Although they had the kneel downs. Correct. So it was 37 rushing attempts, officially 32 pass attempts. Okay. But, you're, right. but even if you All subtract right. the three kneel downs, you yeah. still have more rushing attempts than pass attempts. This is, this is the most balanced this offense has been in the eight games that DeAndre Hopkins has missed dating back to last season. And Kyler Murray had a dozen rushing attempts coming in on the season, and he had a dozen rushing attempts in the game, even though three of them were kneel downs at the end. So that was a factor in the running game. Once again, give the defense a lot to think about. What, what, what did Matt Rule say, his comment in the media, having gone against Kyler since their college days? And Matt Rule made that comment. He said, you know what, I saw Kyler do things in college and made me just want to walk off the field. That's what defensive coordinators and head coaches that you play fear, the Kyla Murray factor, extending plays, getting loose when the defense has its back to the line of scrimmage. You know, it, it, It's a good idea to utilize your competitive advantage that very few teams have. Now, the Eagles have that with Jalen Hurts. Obviously, the Ravens have that with Lamar Jackson. You can count on one hand how many teams have that in their arsenal, and every team that doesn't wants it. Why do you think the San Francisco 49ers gave out three first-round picks to, to go and trade for a Trey Lance? I think because John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan said, I want one of them, one of those sort of athletic quarterbacks who can do it all, from the pocket, outside the pocket, keeping a defense honest. And 
there wasn't enough of that at times, I think, to begin this season. And, and you saw it, and you even saw Kyler stoke it and go north a few times and run the risk of getting hit by a linebacker. And he does a great job of protecting himself. 12 rushing attempts, and even if you subtract the three kneel downs, the magic number is nine. Cardinals are 9-1 and one when Kyler Murray has – excuse me, 12-1 and one when Kyler Murray runs nine or more times in his career. Now, I think it has to come within the flow of the offense mm-hmm. when the offense is in rhythm. Cardinal talk, Drew Stan talked about Kyler Murray being more effective on the ground when they're inside the red zone, when he can be a little bit more dynamic, effective, and, you know, you split out the wide receivers and everyone drops back. Now you got more room underneath to work. So, again, no one wants to see Kyler Murray run a ton at the risk of injury, but it does have to be a part of this offense. But in order for it to be a part of the offense, I think you need that first first down, a couple of first downs to where this team is feeling positive about its movement up and down the field. And we didn't see that the first couple of weeks, but we saw it in the second half. The playbook opens up, and then all of a sudden you can utilize Kyler Murray as more of a weapon. And look what Mahomes does. And he did it again last night. Uh, the ability to keep the eyes downfield, so he'll fake the run. Oh, here I go. I'm taking off. No, I'm not. Jump stop and a little pass. A little jump pass into the end zone or for a first down. As soon as he sees the defense suck up because I'm running into the sticks, I have that ability, and the defense wants to beat me to the first down marker. Nope. And I hit the brakes. I know where the line of scrimmage is, and I'm able to complete the pass. Yeah, I, I think that's the next level for Kyler and just his ability to test and stress a defense. And so, um, you know, and I think the Cardinals are realizing that. Now, look, you're going to err on the side of caution because the season ends. Your aspirations end without Kyler Murray. So the risk-reward has to be sane, and you have to know exactly what you're doing. And Kyler, once again, and I think he expressed this last week, if you read between the lines, he's still more in favor of organic runs. Yeah versus called runs, design runs. And and I asked Cliff after the game, you know, how many of those dozen rushing attempts were called or designed? He said, not a lot. And and I don't think he – I don't think he wants to be known as someone who's who's dialing up Kyler's number for a variety of reasons, primarily because I don't think Kyler necessarily looks forward to being the designated rusher. He just wants the option to run it. Make it his decision, talking yep. about Kyler Murray as opposed to being told. It's like a parent and a child. When the parent says something, the child's like, oh, I, you, okay, fine, yeah. I'll do it. But when it's organic and the child does right. it themselves, it's like, great job. You, yeah. that, we're proud of you. <laughs> and, I, you know, maybe it's an over-exaggeration of an example. But, yes, make it Kyler's decision to where it's on his shoulders as opposed to from the sidelines and if something goes wrong i.e. he gets hurt, then it's like, okay, you know, you wanted me to run, and this is what happens when I run. And look, as Cliff said after the game, whatever it takes to be 2-2, and that was the mantra, that was the mission. So at times, it took Kyler Murray running it. It may not be his his first choice. It may not be the Cardinals' first choice. Um, You know, the guys who signed the checks sitting up in the owner's suite might be gripping a little bit and out of their seat and wondering, oh, boy. But once again, whatever it took to be 2-2 and so you keep up with the Joneses, most of the league is right around that C-level mark. And I honestly think that if you zoom out and you want to psychoanalyze this team, it's sort of like the college student. This says, okay, wait a minute, I'm looking at the syllabus here, and 80% of the grade is the final exam. 
So it really doesn't matter necessarily what I do over the first part of this semester as long as I don't mathematically eliminate myself. I just <laughs> got to stay in the hunt. I got to stay in contention for that A or B grade. Uh, I got to pass the final to pass the class. And I think this team maybe even subconsciously has realized, man, we got off to rip-roaring starts each of the last two years. What do we have to show for it? September is the new August. October is the new September. I just think they're pacing themselves, maybe without knowing it, especially on offense. And Maybe there's the, okay, everything's going to be a lot better when DeAndre Hopkins gets back, especially in terms of, I think, defining roles. For example, Rondale Moore, how does he fit? Where does he fit right now? It just it seems, it seems awkward. It doesn't seem fluid. And honestly, I'll tell you this much. This is just an observation from the sideline. Bonus observation from the sideline. When the Cardinals had problems getting in some of the plays and they're taking too much time off the play clock, a lot of that was Rondell Moore. He hadn't played yet in a regular season game. And there were times where he was a little uncertain. Was he in? Is he in with this package? Is he not in with this package? Coaches yelling at him, yes, you're in, get in. No, what are you doing? Get out. Uh, breaking the huddle. Where do I go? What's my role? Where am I lined up? There was too much of that. It, that looked too much like a rookie in a preseason game, and I'm guessing Cliff won't name names, but that was my observation just from the sideline that when in doubt, when things were getting a little stalled and, uh, shall we say, um, you know, just, just dysfunctional at times on offense, I, and I think we can use that word in the first half. Uh, a lot of it just number four was uncertain of where to be and what his – his role was, and so it kind of trickled down. And I wonder if one of those instances was when the Fox TV cameras caught Kyler Murray being very animated, Cliff Kingsbury being very animated. It was asked of the head coach post game, to which Cliff said, I was just seeing after the game what he wanted to eat. If he should bring something separate yeah. or just kind of go with the standard team meal. Yeah, that's solid. So that's, again, the head coach maybe taking a little bit of a bullet and not announcing, yeah, we, we're introducing – New pieces. Another new piece to that offense was Trey McBride. Had his first three catches of his NFL career. Played 32 snaps after playing just six total in the first three games. So that was a new wrinkle to the offense. It did come at the expense of Greg Dortch. We got some calls on Cardinal Talk about where was Greg Dortch. Well, Greg Dortch was playing Rondell Moore's spot. Rondell Moore comes back, then... There's not as many snaps for a Greg Dorge. But now, all of a sudden, if you're going to add in a Trey McBride with a Max Williams and a Zach Ertz along with a Steven Anderson, you've got more moving pieces. To your point now, Paul, it's okay. Let's make sure we're all on the same page if we're introducing these new aspects of the offense. By the way, shout-out to Greg Dorch. Got off the Cardinals team bus, and there he was wearing the Permian jersey from Friday Night okay, Lights. Nice. Bo Booby Miles, number 45. <laughs> you want to win? Put Booby in. That was solid. I, I enjoyed the Permian uh, jersey from Greg Dorch. Didn't enjoy the fact we didn't see a whole bunch of his jersey in the game, number 83. Uh, I will say with Kyler and Cliff, I actually like that when the two of them are on a good enough standing, the relationship where they can bark at each other, that they can hold each other accountable. I really do. I think there's there's a big reason. I think we told this story earlier. I heard one of the Giants beat writers saying after the New York Giants got off to a 2-0 start, a big threshold moment for the Giants was when Brian Dable yelled at Daniel Jones in the sideline, held him accountable in front of everyone. You got to be better. You miss that read. That's inexcusable. You can't let that happen. We got to solve that right now. And and Daniel Jones took it as a franchise quarterback and the highly drafted golden child said, yes, sir. 
And so, okay. And so when that happens, the back and forth between the head coach and the franchise quarterback, who both have enough contract security that, you know, that not, nothing's an issue in, in that department. So I, I like that because, you know what, it has nothing to do with personalities or hurt feelings. It's just trying to do something about what Kyler calls the bad ball in the first quarter. And, and there was a moment late first quarter, and I marked it down because it was after the Cardinals' third and seven at the 37, and Kyler had that pass batted down. He was trying to dump it off to Daryl Williams, and it got batted away, and there was a lot of frustration, and, oh, we're still not moving the ball. We're still not getting first downs in the first quarter. Scoreless game. What's going on? And then Kyler and Cliff spent a long time having a one-on-one conversation on the sideline, just the two of them away from the bench, away from the NFL films, hard knocks, cameras, and microphones. It was just the two of them. And you don't see a lot of that, really, agree, because they have the game plan baked in. There's, a, there's talking from Cliff to Kyler via the headset and the helmet uh, during the course of the game. Kyler come to the bench. Cliff's the head coach. He's got other duties. So Cam Turner, the quarterback's coach, passing game coordinator, will visit with Kyler a lot. Colt McCoy will do that. So to see those two have what was a meaningful conversation and that communication, and then later it got a little heated like you cited, I'm all about that. I think that's great. You need to have those lines of communication, I think, because – It's in the best interest of everyone. You're just trying to improve the product. It's a great sideline observation, and it's why we have you here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. One more sideline observation before we say goodbye here on this Monday, and that was Eno Benjamin coming out to kick off after the Cardinals had made it 13-10. And we knew Matt Prater went into that game with a right hip issue. He did play the first half, but then in that fourth quarter, he was on for the PAT, but we did see the team go for two on the Hollywood Brown touchdown catch. And, you know, Benjamin, once again, kicked off. So there is a great note on that. But from your perspective on the sideline, when all of a sudden number 26 is out there teeing up the football and you're wondering, um, where's, where's, where's Matt? Yeah. Hello, Matt? And it's Eno Benjamin kicking off, who kicked it off very well and also made the special teams tackle on the first kickoff. As any sideline reporter will tell you, your primary job when you're on the sideline is do not get between the kicker and the net or the punter and the net because you will get decapitated. Okay, you got to stay away from the net. Uh, it, it's, it's vital. You don't want to get in the way of the kicker or the punter taking their steps and marking it off. It's tight quarters on the sideline. So you, you get to that relationship. And you're right. I noticed that Matt Prater wasn't taking many practice kicks. And I'm like, okay, I guess he's good because he's a guy who will take quite a few practice kicks. Uh, Andy Lee the same. Even though he's 40 years old, he spends a lot of time you know, honing their craft on the sideline. Aaron Brewer doing a lot of snapping on the sideline. It's amazing the amount of reps they even get on game day before they ever get out there. So, yeah, when Eno Benjamin was out there, I mean, definitely had flashbacks to Pat Tillman. I've been around long enough to to remember the Bill Gramatica and, and the Pat Tillman. But then for him to come down and make the tackle. <laughs> now, that reminded me of Neil Rackers. Because Neil Rackers, for better or worse, would kick off and come flying down and stick his hat in there. And most of the time, he got the wrong end of the collision, but he didn't care. He'd get up, and the face mask was facing the wrong way. And uh, so that that was entertaining. The four-time special team Pro Bowler, Ron Wolfley, I'm sure, got out of his seat in the booth. Based on his guttural reaction, we saw, Eno. I mean, he, he we, yeah, that was good stuff. December 15th. 2001 at the New York Giants is when Pat Tillman kicked off and it was the last non-specialist for the Arizona Cardinals to do any kicking duties at all and the connection 
Benjamin and Tillman, former ASU players, the only two ASU players drafted by the Cardinals, both drafted in the seventh round. Eno was told that in the postgame locker room scrum, and you could just see the smile on his face because anytime you talk about ASU and you're able to connect with a Pat Tillman and be in the same sentence of a Pat Tillman, you knew it meant a lot to Eno Benjamin. But I wanted to make sure he got a shout-out, and he did get a game ball just because he kicked off three times in the fourth quarter. And what was interesting, that was my last question of Cliff Kingsbury, as you heard on the radio. And uh, and I mentioned Wolf's reaction, how much he appreciated that as a former special teams Pro Bowler. <laughs> Cliff, Cliff morphed that into a nice little dig at Wolf's expense about, about uh, you know what, hey, Wolf, we ran for 132 yards. Get off us on the whole run game and Kyler under center. How many times was Kyler under center? I in believe this game. did you guys have to track that? 15 times. Really? Yes, and I, I, uh, I, I did text the uh, Cardinals color analyst after the ball game. Just a quick scan of the game book. It was 12 times plus three kneel downs. Okay. Nine of the 12 came in the second half, six times in the fourth quarter. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's something Ron Wolfley pays attention to, and I understand why. I also understand why Cliff and Kyler don't particularly like going under center, or it's just they don't prefer it. It's just not part of what Cliff likes to do as an offensive-minded head coach, but it is – we're seeing a little bit more of it over the seasons, and maybe we'll see it a little bit more here this season as Cliff, who does a very good job of admitting when he's won, wrong, or stealing plays, but very good about adapting from what he thinks will work versus what will work. Look, this just in, Pauly Pencilneck has never played uh, offensive or defensive line. Okay, I know that's a shocker, but I will defer to what Zach Allen told us last year. He was describing a game situation, and the game was hanging into the balance, and the opposing offense came out, and they got into the gun. It was third and one, third and two, fourth and one, something like that. And and, and they got into the gun, and, and Zach Allen's response was, hey, thank you. Thank you for getting into the gun because that eliminated about half of the play possibilities that he had to consider as a defensive lineman in the three technique or the five technique, wherever he was lined up. The defensive front had a lot less to consider when you got into the gun. So on these third and short, fourth and short, I just wonder, dot, dot, dot. You know, as someone just listening to defensive players – talk about how much more difficult it is to decipher and discern what's coming when a quarterback is under center. Even the quarterback sneak, which obviously Kyler has strong enough legs to – he might he's obviously not the tallest guy, but he's definitely strong enough. There were a couple of hits when he was running. He got blasted from the side and stayed on his feet. He kept his balance. There was one on the Cardinals' side. I'm like, man, there's a lot of stout running backs who go down, and Kyler did not go down. So there's no doubt to me that he has the leg strength and leg drive. If they need on fourth and inches that quarterback sneak, but you take that out of the arsenal when you're in the gun. And most defensive linemen will thank you for that. So I just wonder how much that figures into the consideration. It becomes a tell, and offenses don't like – Tell. defenses don't like tells before the snap is made and that's what being under center versus being in shotgun and I'm sure Paul as you talk with the head coach as you always do on Mondays I'm guessing that that conversation from post game in Carolina might be revisited on this week's 
coach's show. Yeah, you just have to figure out a different way to ask it <laughs> because if I'm asking the same questions all over again. You know, it just gets a uh, gets a little tired. So uh, you have to be creative in how you're addressing said topic or line of questioning and try and make it fresh. And then you got to try and make it applicable, obviously, to the Eagles uh, and 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 how that figures in. So. I'll, I'll say this much. Remember what Hollywood Brown told us about Baker Mayfield and, and Kyler and how competitive the two of them were? Well, Jalen Hurts yep. came in after Kyler. And so, uh, you know, we'll see how, how that factors into everything. And Carolina just snapped a seven-game home losing streak. How many have the Cardinals lost at home? Seven. Yep. So right there. it's uh, And you know, <laughs> you know the Philly fan is going to be in attendance. So if you're looking for somewhat of a road dynamic – We'll see if the Cardinals have to get into a silent count when they have the ball. It, it might happen. I mean, it's it's happened before to many teams on the road, at home, seemingly like they're on the road. But uh, the way the Cardinals have performed, uh, what, winning 10 of the last 11, the last two years, regular season road games, uh, that's where they obviously perform their best. It's not the worst suggestion I've heard about how to end this seven-game losing streak at home, and there'll be plenty of time the rest of the week to dive into that because you know it's going to be discussed every single day to whichever head coach, assistant coach, or player that a microphone is put in front of their yeah. face. There's two things they don't have an answer to. The home losing streak and the first quarter woes. There's no one has an answer to that or else it'll already be resolved. So they got to figure it out somehow organically. Uh, just, just you know, the only other thing I'd say about, about Carolina was what was the deal with the post-game podium press conference microphone? What was up with that? Because every, every post-game soundbite I heard afterwards, because I'm outside the press conference room, we're doing the radio interviews on our own, thank goodness our mic was dialed in and not over-modulated because uh, that press conference room sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher with a I mean, what was going on there? Probably done on purpose, my guess. I mean, you know, especially after you lose to the visitors. Yeah, maybe there's some tinkering being done in that uh, visitor's press room. Yeah, make the audio bad enough that TV stations and radio stations won't want to air too much of it. Final score again from Carolina, 26-16. Cardinals improved to 2-2. And, yes, the Eagles come to State Farm Stadium on Sunday, October 9th. We'll get to that later here this week. And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Amandro. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.